1: How how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Three and one, fam. I don't know, 750 points percentage. Seems good. Seems sustainable. Probably winning the cup. I'm pretty excited. We have a lot of show to get to, you, to, get to today to present to you. Whatever. I don't even know. Let's get to the intros. Uh, let's lead it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle.
2: The only thing I'm going to say... Is badass motherfucker Brian Elliott. Thank you.
1: I I got my first lesson in questioning Elaine Vigneault immediately after the first Buffalo game. Went on post game, said, "Let's go right back to heart." Of course, Brian Elliott has a forty save shutout. So way to go, AV.
0: I mean, Kelly has every <laughs> right to gloat whenever Brian Elliott is oh, one hundred percent every Correct. right.
3: And he. And he was really good. I thought that they were going to go back to heart because Brian Elliott played the the majority of uh, I don't know what day it was Monday, Monday, Monday's game, and then they went back to back. But I mean, he fucking earned it, and he crushed. And like, I'm so pleased to see it.
1: It wasn't a It wasn't a 21 save low volume, yeah, you know, easy shutout. He had forty shots and like yeah. a five on three in the first five minutes. Like, yeah, I, I almost. He, I, almost yeah.
0: I I almost wonder if the uh, that work he had on Monday actually helped him because if you think about it, like he really didn't play very much in the bubble, and no. like so you know getting that little extra kind of you know low pressure work before the game that actually mattered for him on Tuesday, you know maybe it just helped him knock
1: a little bit of rust off. Couldn't hurt. Get loosened up. You gotta loosen up the joints at that age, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Listen, <laughs> from theathletic.com, Charlie O'Connor, Chuck. I gotta ask. I don't want to spend a ton of time like calling out other reporters, but you know, Jake had a Jake had a fun had a fun exchange with uh, with Mike Sealski in a post game interview the other night. Um, Is this true? Have you had like any good? I'm sure or that they would all call it fun. Yeah, I I thought it was fun. I mean, f- fans. We fans talk certainly shit thought nonstop. Yeah, like uh, I li- listen, Charlie. Like you're a you're a pretty dedicated journalist and you're pretty straightforward. But like we all talk shit nonstop. If someone wants to curse us out every now and yeah. then, I don't give a shit. Like come at me, bro. And I'm not there. Like I don't have the same personal relationship with these guys. But like. If you can give it, you can take it. You know. So, mm-hmm. Chuck, have you had anything good like that happen? Well, I think I, I think I've told the
0: story on here about Hack when 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 Hackstall blew up at me for um, for basically referencing stats to question Valteri Philpola, and then the next day Hack sat me down <laughs> and we basically did like some some private tape study, which was really cool. It's it's a nice little Hack story. Um, I I'm pretty sure a decent number of our listeners remember this, but certainly not all. Because I've had a, a high-profile run-in with Jake Voracek in the past, um, and it's <laughs> quite, quite funny. So this was back in 2015, 2016, um, the, f- oh, wow. the first year that I was like sort of on the beat. So that was the year that I essentially worked full-time for, for BSH. I was tracking every game and I was also covering every game and I was essentially working part. Salad yeah, drinks. I was I was working part time my marketing job and I, I really it was the year I went like all out to try to see if I could make this journalism thing work. And Jake had like just gotten hurt. I believe he broke his foot that year. So he was out of the lineup at the time. Um and uh, and essentially what happened was NHL Flyer, Scott Trum, a Scott Trauma friend of the pod, who is definitely one to be incredibly sarcastic and tongue-in-cheek on twitter basically jokingly said on twitter that like you know jake has no heart you know he's not playing through injury and i responded with Equally, a sarcastic joking like, "Yeah, if he really cared, he'd play and he'd, he'd play in his walking boot." Like, obviously, no one is going to is going to be skating <laughs> with one skate on and then a walking boot on their other foot. <laughs> so, like, obviously, I was being incredibly sarcastic and making fun of the people who argue that like players should play through any injury with regard without regard to their own, you know, well being and whatnot. So, about like an hour later, I get a notification on my phone that Jake Voracek like. Tweeted at me. I was like, "Wow, I was not expecting that." And then I look at the tweet, and he quote tweeted my response, apparently thinking that it was serious, and quote tweets it with, "Are you shitting me?" In uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> <we're> shitting you. <laughs> in clear anger at the fact that I had questioned his toughness by saying that he should have played in a walking boot. So I immediately respond, and I'm like. Yeah, I was being sarcastic. I'm not like, I'm not giving you shit, actually. I'm just like basically making fun of idiots. And I then spent the next like three hours getting eviscerated by like randos on Twitter for, you know, for daring to question Jake's toughness. And like, I wasn't. That was the funny part. So finally, like, about like, I think like three hours later, Jake jumps back on Twitter and he's like, I may have been wrong. That may have not been a serious criticism. And then his next tweet was something like, <sighs> "My girlfriend has taken away my Twitter privileges."
3: <laughs> I was like, "She told me I need to go stand in yeah, the
1: corner." Exactly. <laughs> no, and like, I'll tell. Like, I really enjoy Jake because he's a sarcastic asshole. But for some, and like, I think that's hilarious. I I love it. But for someone who is a sarcastic asshole, he does not seem to be able to pick up on the sarcasm. I mean, like, there's there's definitely an element of like the cultural
0: thing. Like, you yeah. know, he's not from the United States. So there's probably times he reads things and like plus like everybody on Flyers Twitter, myself included, is batshit insane.
1: Like yeah, the only yeah.
0: way you would the only way you would 100 percent know that that was sarcasm, as if you know Scott Trauma, you know NHL Flyer, and you know his shtick. And you know that, like, only 2% of the things he tweets— and he doesn't tweet as much anymore, but this is back in his heyday— only, like, 2% yeah. of the things he tweets are serious. Everything else is him, like, cutting up someone or, you know, kind of playing the, like, PFT commenter role of intentionally being stupid. So, yeah, it's a, Jake it's a obviously didn't know yeah. that.
1: Yeah, I just, like— I don't know. It seems obvious to me, but I, is it me, or do all Europeans always sound sarcastic? Like, it's hard to tell. I mean, Michael Roffel— That's
3: if, probably if, just you.
1: Michael <laughs> Roffel is maybe
0: the most sarcastic person I have dealt with in my life. Like, I, I don't know if he's incapable of not speaking in dry humor at all times, and I love it, but, like, that well, is Well, we Michael
1: love Roffle. him. Yeah. I, and I'm fine with it. All right. Uh, I, my xenophobia comes through again. <laughs> Endless. What? <laughs> again. (laughs) Everyone just gets quiet and is like, ah, Jesus, Bill did it again. There There he goes again. There we go. Uh, Last but not least, Stephalicious D, Steph Driver.
3: It's the most wonderful time of the year. Look at
1: this bitch.
3: That's right, folks. It's Steph is taking a victory lap time. Oh, no. (laughs) It is Steph Driver was right about everything you motherfuckers. Who started at 3C this season? That's right. It was Nolan Patrick. That's right. Who scored a goal in the first game? Oh, it was Nolan Patrick. Who was bumped to a line with Travis Konechny and Oscar Lindblom last night and had more time on ice than... Uh, don't fact-check me because I didn't look it up but had a lot of time <laughs> on ice. I mean, he had
1: at least twice as much ice time as supposed Selkie winner Sean Couturier. Mm.
3: It's true. It's true. A lot more minutes. This is my victory lap, bitches. I was right the whole time. He has looked fantastic.
2: He's looking. I can't fine. even argue with you. He's looked pretty good. I thought he looked, he re- I
0: like... looked real, real good on Tuesday with uh, with TK and LeBlanc.
2: Yeah, Yeah. that was real good.
3: That was, I mean, his strongest game of the season with his strongest line mate. So let's keep that line together and let's just keep on rolling so I can continue this victory lap because it is sweet.
1: I love the TK and Ling, Lindblom duo. Like those two with any center, I'm a big fan of. But yeah, I like them a lot with Patrick. Well, Patrick has had chemistry with Lindblom in the
0: past. If you remember, yeah. if you remember, like in, that Jake Yeah, in the second half of his rookie year, he was on that line with Lindblom and, and Voracek and it was real good. And I mean, I remember this is this is like classic Nolan <laughs> Patrick sarcasm. I remember in his uh in his post-season uh, presser, I asked him like you know, about the chemistry he was showing with Lindblom and about how, like, you know, it's exciting that, you know, both you guys are young and this could be potentially like a duo that lasts for years. And he's like, well, I mean, we also have a really good player on the other side in Jake Voracek, so don't forget about him. And it was like, okay, Nolan,
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the first two games against the Penguins, big wins against the rivals, start the season 2-0, and hip, hip, hooray. Uh, But we did see potential areas of concern in those first two games. Uh, But, like, the offense produced. Tristan Jarry was so bad, it didn't matter. Good call on that, Charlie. More on Tristan Jarry against this offense later. Uh, But then Game 3 against Buffalo happened, and it was just a fucking debacle. Turnovers galore, bad special teams, subpar Carter Hart in the second period. It was a true worst-case scenario. Uh, So the fourth game of the season, Tuesday night... Uh, The second of back-to-backs against Buffalo was the first real test of this team's depth and character. And what happened? They lost Phil Myers after the first period. Morgan Frost goes down with five minutes left in the second. They're already short Sean Couturier. And the Flyers, short bench, backup goalie and all, delivered! Oh my god, what a just... Key character win uh, early in this season to really set the tone for this team's ability to bounce back and not let momentum start rolling against them. So I want to start out with just an assessment of your biggest surprises, most encouraging and most concerning aspects of the first four games. And I'm going to lead off with my biggest surprise. I don't know if it was ma- necessarily a major surprise, but, you know, they're 3-1, the 40-save shutout, exciting game last night. The tone of post-game was not necessarily celebratory. Shocking. It was mostly like, okay, cool, 3-1 and one is good, but let's not pretend there aren't issues. So I just want I guess, lead off first with, are the Flyers' issues, like, rust, chemistry, no preseason related, or do you think there's more to it?
2: I think there's a little more to it. I mean, I think we knew going in that the defense— was potentially going to be pretty problematic, and it has been because they haven't figured it out yet. Um, I think that there were probably some, you know, some maybes about Nolan Patrick and Oscar Limblom heading into the season that have thankfully sure. been, you know, completely unfounded. But um, I mean, I, I I don't know that anybody really thought that there were going to be no hiccups. I would be surprised if people thought there were going to be no hiccups at the start of the season. So is it great? No, but I'm not super concerned yet because I was kind of expecting that there was going to be a little bit of messiness
0: at the start. Yeah, I think for me, like, a lot of how you're feeling right now, and I guess this makes sense considering we're only four games of the year, but a lot of how you're feeling right now about the team is probably, you know, Highly correlated with exactly how you were feeling about the team before the season started, because if Mm. you came into the year thinking this team is really good, then it's very easy for you to say to yourself, you know, in a normal calendar year, the Flyers would be in the heart of their preseason. They're still figuring things out when they figure things when they figure things out the team's going to be really good and these games aside from the fact that they're picking up points which is really important because these points still matter these games really don't matter all that much in terms of telling us what the flyers really are now the other side of it is there's a lot of people who are like the the flyers team from the playoffs is the real flyers team and for them they can look at these games and say this flyers team looks a lot like the team from the playoffs and this team, despite the fact they're three and one, hasn't convinced them at all that they were wrong in believing that the Flyers team that, you know, didn't do that well against Montreal or New York, even though they beat Montreal, is the real Flyers team. So I think a lot of this is kind of like, you know, you're almost it's almost like a mirror as to what you already thought the Flyers are. For me, I think they're a good team. So I think they're gonna figure this out. But um but yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to watch these games and realize that the Flyers aren't actually playing that well so far.
1: I will say in, in, in defense of the defense before Steph, uh, like if you look around the rest of the league, it ain't like anyone else is playing tremendous defense. Like the blues lost eight nothing the other night. Like they're a pretty good defensive team. No. Well, they got, they got blown the fuck up. Like uh, the, the being outshot every night is concerning, but I do think there are some elements to like, Hey, let them get a couple practices in. All right. Go ahead. Steph.
3: Uh, the defense is absolute trash. It's, Absolute not trash. It's, it's, it's not great. It's it's bad. So we've got Provorov who is a good hockey player who's been fine. We've got Sandheim who's a good hockey player who's been mostly invisible but fine. And Phil Myers who is now injured and getting an MRI. Those are our good hockey players on defense and then the rest of them are bad. It's it's not a good situation. Um but I think they'll <laughs> They'll put it together. I don't I don't know if they can put the defense together. Those three will. Um that's the biggest problem for me. And injuries. We've got injuries to key players early in the season, and that sucks.
1: Or are they just getting them out of the way? <laughs> One would Could like be to be that. However, it still sucks. Them missing no, any time it, sucks. And it really sucks. And, like, Morgan Frost, just feel real bad for him. Oh, this God, was his he opportunity. just
3: made the lineup. Like, yeah. he just made it.
1: Yeah. All right, so I, is everyone's most concerning aspect, uh, the just team defense, the def- the actual defensive core? Like, is that everyone's? I mean, the, mo-
3: the most concerning is Eric Gustafson. Who well, hired that guy into the fucking sun? That's has uh, been rough.
0: He has been yeah. very, very rough, and and I think that's Real like bad. that's legitimately one of the you know one of the big aspects of why the defense has been so underwhelming so far because you know we kind of looked at it going into the year that the Flyers had three bona fide unquestioned top four defensemen in Perreault, Sanheim, and Myers, and that fourth spot used to be taken up by Matt Niskanen, and it's not anymore. So what the Flyers were going to have to spend the first half of the year at least trying to figure out is if they had that solution somewhere in the organization. You know, you had the possibility of Shane Gosper could have a bounce back year. Eric Gustafson could have a bounce back year. Justin Braun could maybe hold his own in the top four for now. Well, Justin Braun, I mean, he's clearly not a top pair defenseman. That that pairing with Perovroff no. did not work. I Jesus. still think I still think it's possible he he could work with Sandheim because that pairing did work last year, but they really haven't had the opportunity to try that for an extended period of time. Ghost is out for however long we don't know he's on the COVID protocol list you know obviously the the flyers are keeping that pretty close to the chest as to you know what is actually up with him because it's a medical thing and there's privacy and he doesn't want it to be revealed understandable but because of that we don't know how long he's going to be out for and even when he comes back we assume that he's probably going to take some time to, uh, you know, to be ready to go since he didn't have, you know, the full camp and whatnot, and he'll be having missed, like, a few weeks. So, Ghost is out of the picture for now. And then just, uh, Eric Gustafson was the other guy who you're like, well, you know, he did spend time in Chicago playing on a top pair with Duncan Keith. You know, maybe he has a bounce-back year after kind of a rough defensive season last season, and he's been a dumpster fire. Now, I'm not saying that he's going to stay a dumpster fire. You know, he is learning a new system. There is talent there, but at even strength, I mean, he's been really, really bad. So you basically had three options in the early going that could have filled that gap in the top four. And for one reason or another, none of them have been able to do it. And that's a real concern. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they won't be able to fill it at some point in the future. But right now, we're seeing that the Flyers are in a tough spot, especially if Myers is hurt. But I'm mean, assuming Myers isn't badly hurt. They still only have three of a, uh, three players out of a top four. And when you only have three players out of a top four, that means you really only have one good pair. And that's where they're at right now. They've only had one good pair. You know, the game, the, the first three games, Sandheim-Myers were fine. Then they broke up that. And then Proveroff-Sandheim was fine, but the other two pairs were a mess. So this is going to be a problem until either somebody steps up or they go and they find somebody outside of the organization.
3: Or we all die.
0: Yeah, or we all die. Ah, oh, yes. Always an
1: option.
3: What
2: a,
1: That one. What's been everyone's <laughs> biggest surprise?
2: Honestly, for me, being who I am, I am surprised that Nolan Patrick looks like he never missed a single day of hockey. He truly looks and, like he did not miss a second of playing.
3: And that's completely fair, because that's probably my surprise, too. <laughs> Even though, like, I was expecting him to be good, but I wasn't expecting him to just pick up
1: right where he left off. Yeah. yeah. Given given full health, I assumed he'd be able to come in and look like a competent 3C. But I didn't know, like, how good of one. And it seems he's pretty damn good, at least right now. Well, I mean, like... It- You know, one assumes that
2: when he was really in it, he wasn't getting a ton of, like, hard skating in. And then we hear all the time about how even when you get practice in, there's nothing like, you know, playing in an actual game to get yourself ready for playing in an actual game. And it's been a really long time since he's done that. So,
1: you know who I credit? Samuel Moran. Laying him out (laughs) in that (laughs) scrimmage is the best thing that ever happened to him.
3: I actually thought about that the other day while I was watching him lay hits and take hits. Like, yeah. You know he's already had Samuel Moran rock him in practice, and he was fine. So, like maybe it was. I I did think about your theory the other day. Yeah, I, that he just it, he just needed to get needed to get the worst out of the way before the season started. Yeah,
2: like I, it was Bill that said that, right? Like he's now he's not scared yeah. of getting of hit. Of course it was. He knows he's fine. So it's it was good. Thank you, Sam. You'll.
3: See, there's a reason.
1: There's a reason he's still here. <laughs> well,
3: we might need him on defense, so. Okay. I,
1: that came up in post-game last night. Oh, like, God. If we <laughs> – how many – like, would you put Igor Zamula ahead of him on the depth chart? Like, yes. I don't know. Yes. Lord, Lord. Like, I, I yeah. personally would, but I don't <laughs> know. I mean, I
0: think Zamul's better, but Zamula also hasn't been practicing for the last week and a half. Exactly. So.
3: <laughs> and <he's laughs> and Zamula. Simola needs to go on the Samuel Moran breakfast lunch diet. He sure
2: does. He needs a couple (laughs) of twelve cheeseburgers. He's a small My man
3: is six foot three and like thirty pounds. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah he, he definitely needs to put on some weight and he's been putting on weight it's just he needs to put on a lot more he's like sandheim was kind of a lot more in, in the beginning of his Zamoula, career hit me up i know i know i know the secret but
3: right like i can also help we, we've got this covered <laughs> <laughs>
0: um no I, I think the answer here is is patrick i i don't know if there's anything else that you, know, you can say matches the surprise level of patrick being you know and the thing is, like Patrick's numbers haven't been amazing, but you watch him, and it, I think to me, it's pretty clear that, like, especially when he was on that that Voracek JVR line, that like he wasn't the reason why that line was struggling a bit. That it was more, yeah. You know, Jake is clearly playing himself back into form, and I think you know it was interesting to me after uh, after last night's game, after Tuesday's game, that. Um, Vino pointed out that JVR he thought, had a really good game, that he was physical, that he was intense. And I thought, number one, that was interesting because, you know, it's interesting when a coach just brings up a guy out of nowhere. Number two, it's interesting because it implies that, like, they told him you're not doing this, so start doing it. And then he did. Yeah. And they were like, okay, we should give him some positive reinforcement here. So it kind of goes back to what I'm saying is that, like, that Patrick line wasn't doing that well by the numbers, but I don't think it was Patrick's fault. Patrick looked fine um and i think patrick was, and I think jvr proved,
1: have never that is true
0: that is true i don't they've, think it's ever worked they've struggled together by the numbers and it's interesting because i think the flyers really want that duo to work you know it's kind of like yeah like they just keep trying to make it happen and it's not really happening but i think patrick showed that um you know that it wasn't him by the fact that last night they put him with you know limblom and Konechny, and that line was really good so Uh, So yeah, I think Patrick is the number one surprise. I think the fact that he's, you know, not only that he's playing, but also that he's looking pretty darn good. There's a couple other things. I mean, Joel Farraby had that great first game. He's kind of tailed off a little bit since, but I think that that Hayes line with him and Drew has been good from the start, even when they weren't scoring. So Faraby's have been impressive. I've honestly been impressed by Hayes. Um, you know, I know everybody, you know, thinks that last year was this like amazing incredible year and there's nothing that he could do that could match that, but like he's I think playing a better two-way game so far this year than than he did last season. Um, you know, maybe he's not having the super clutch goals yet, but um his underlying numbers are that really good. That fucking
1: 200 footer last night was pretty clutch. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that was. That fair, was good. Fair. But um, I'm,
3: I'm very interested Simmons that you shoot. said that. I'm, I'm really interested that you said that. Because I haven't been impressed with him at all.
1: Really? really? See, yeah. I, see, I. And even a little
0: bit. Yeah,
3: I've actually been really underwhelmed by had, Kevin Hayes.
1: Was it the opener where he had the super lazy back check where he got beat for a goal? Um, but other than that, I thought he's been fine. I just think there was like one highlight play for Hayes that was like very much a low light. See, uh, I, I think that
0: his line is the only line
1: that isn't getting crushed on a nightly basis.
3: No, that's definitely true.
1: Yeah, I think he's been. Good. Like, I, I don't know if I'd list him under guys I've been impressed by, but I definitely don't think he's one of the underwhelming guys.
3: I, I've I've been underwhelmed, probably because my expectations for him were so high.
0: Yeah, and I mm. and I think I'm coming in the opposite because my expectations for him are not nearly as high because I don't think his year last year was as good as everybody thinks it was. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. It's just it's just two interesting perspectives, and it's been four games so we'll see this time next week how we feel
1: yeah so uh i guess we can i want to start with the offense and then uh we'll get into some other conversations but obviously coming into this season we all believed the the depth of the forwards was this team's strength uh and they've they've been pretty good the depth the depth is being tested and it's it's paying off so far, but looking into the uh, looking into the four wins or into the three wins and the four games they've played, um, they shot like twenty seven percent against Tristan Jarry. Ooh, um, can, can I can I jump in here? Can I can I yes. oh, can I do a step-in?
0: <laughs> Guess who was right? <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: do it. <laughs> do you want to see Number one starter. Uh, Yeah, Jari, they shot, like, 27% against him. Against non-Tristan Jari goaltenders, so, like, (laughs) the four goals. Like, uh, if you exclude the the empty netters, against non-Tristan Jari goaltenders, they've got four goals on 64 shots. Like, (laughs) not necessarily all that great. Now, they've been (laughs) clutch, and they've had... They've had some big, moment, big moments. They're outscoring teams 10-3 to 3 in the third period. That's huge. I think that's a function of depth uh, as we talk about what they do. They come at you in waves and eventually the dam breaks. But missing Sean Couturier, and like I, when you lose your 1C, there, there's no way to fill that hole. He's your best forward for a reason. But are they as deep as we thought?
3: Hmm. Yes. I think yes is the answer with a little, like a tiny question mark at the end. Yes, I think they are because we saw Morgan Frost just slot right in. Um, and when he went down last night, well, let me go bring it back. When Sean Couturier went down after two shifts in that Penguins game, the Flyers were, were rolling. Like they were doing really well. They, 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 Struggled a bit, but they still, I mean, fuck the Penguins. And they did that. Um, And then we saw Morgan Frost come in and uh, the game was a mess, but that wasn't Morgan Frost's fault. No, he looked okay. And then when he went down, the other, God, numbers, 11 forwards, (laughs) like they... They, uh, I haven't finished my coffee yet. By the way, like this is still early morning for me. Um, you know, they they made it work, and they all came together. If they didn't have that, like let's say, let's just p- take Buffalo for example, just because they're right in my head. If, um, well, I, Jeff Skinner is the first player that comes to mind because I'm mad at him. Mm-hmm. But if he went down, followed by Eichel, like that would be disaster. For the team. Yeah, they still have Taylor Hall, but that's it.
0: Yeah. So, the. Yeah, I mean, Go ahead, I, I just. Yeah, okay. I, I just think that, like, yes, the Flyers are as deep as we think because of everything Steph said. At the same time, like, even when you're a deep team, there's some guys that you can't replace. And Sean Guterrier is one of those guys. Like, you're not going to replace a Sean Guterrier because yeah. there's maybe two or three guys in the entire league. That can do what he does in the role that he plays, and that's it. So, and we hate that. Yeah, well, obviously, but like you're not going to be able to replace a guy mm-hmm. like that. So you're going to have to adapt, and you're going to be a weaker team without him. Like, you know, that's why when I'm looking at the Flyers and I'm looking at like, okay, how can they improve? You know, the fact that that the Hayes line has looked good is a you know is a definite definite positive for me. Because it's like, okay, that's one line that can cycle and forecheck well enough to overcome the fact that the Flyers' defense isn't that great right now. Then... I just automatically assume that whatever line Sean Couturier is on is going to also be able to do that because it has Sean Couturier, and the Flyers have now lost that. Like, they've lost that line that, like, okay, I just don't have to worry about the Sean Couturier line because they're going to finish with 54% of the shots and 54% of the chances over a large sample because Sean Couturier is just that freaking awesome. Well, they don't That's have does, yeah. So you just don't have that stabilizing force, for the foreseeable future, and that hurts. So it just means everybody else has to play a little bit better in his absence, and we'll see if they can pull it off.
2: I guess I'm just not ready to be totally sure about it because these first four games were against rather weak competition. Um, Tristan Jari pretty much gave them those first two wins. If he hadn't played that bad, I'm not sure if it would have gone exactly as it did. Um, they looked abjectly terrible in the first game against the Sabres, and then they got a r- insane performance out of their goaltender, and they, you know, beat a team that is essentially two good players and then a bunch of other guys. So I don't, I'm not ready to be like, oh yeah, we're totally cool. Like, depth's fine, everything's I- gonna be fine. I'm just like a little hesitant. I need to see what they look like against a good team.
3: I'm gonna no, push back. the defense back. still... S- the defense still sucks, but I, I think that the the depth is fine.
1: Come at me. Yeah, I'm gonna push back on Buffalo a little bit. Okay. They are better. I, oh, than I was I gonna thought. push
3: back on Pittsburgh. So. I don't think they're that bad.
2: They're better than I well, thought, to be honest with you.
1: <laughs> I gotta tell you, I don't want Rasmus Ristalinen like in my top four, but I'll take him over Braun and Haig. I'll tell you that right oh, now. Yeah. Well, well, you know what? I, I'm, hearing, I'm hearing a
0: lot of people get on this like, wait, what if Rasmus Ristolainen, but good? And he's not. He's been... <laughs> there was a lot of it on the broadcast <laughs> that I was he's, like, what are you on about? <laughs> he's been good so far this year, actually. I will acknowledge that. And he was effective yeah. in the two games against the Flyers. However, we have like six seasons of him being awful that tells us that this is probably just a blip. Like, no.
1: Maybe he's jumping into
0: his own. You do not want the Flyers to have Rasmus Ristolainen. He is Andrew McDonald, but he hits more. That's Rasmus Ristolainen. You don't want him.
1: I'll take that over fucking what they have on the third <laughs> pair right now. Yeah, but would you take that on well. a $5.2 million contract? I'm not I'm not saying they should trade for him. That's not my solution to fix the defense. I'm just continuing the conversation we had, I think, from the Ice Sport preview, when you told me he was like the worst player in the league, and I was like, well, wait, maybe not that bad. <laughs> and I will hold And it. I liked what I saw out of him. He played well in
0: those games. I'll acknowledge that. But like bad players have good games sometimes. It happens.
2: This is every time Robert Haig does something good, and Twitter's like, look at that, he made a pass. <laughs>
1: What's the problem? God, <laughs> like, tell us how your I really will say good. I will say like when <laughs> whenever he has like a nice pass or like actually winds up and takes a shot and it looks good, I think like ooh maybe he's no. something else, and then you know he continues to be average third pair defenseman Robert Haight.
3: Average, I think, is being very generous.
0: Eh, so, yeah. so one point I'll make here: most about- third pairs are bad. But like one point I'll make here about the defense and I think this is I, I kind of hinted at this in my article today and I I've, I've mentioned it in a couple comments on a, on my article as well. You know, the fact that the defense isn't that good at least on paper, at least from a personnel standpoint at the moment. Um I think it's something that can be overcome by the forwards. And I think and my proof of that is the Hayes line. Like I went back and I watched the entirety of, of the game three, the game they got blown out. You know, kind of looking for the problems and trying to figure that out so I could write a good article after game four. And the one thing that stood out to me about the Hayes line is that, you know, they're having the same issues everybody else is with the breakout and in dealing with the, with the defense. You know, there 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 are times when they're getting swallowed up by the forecheck and there are times when they're scrambling around in the defensive zone. But the thing is, is that They're still out-shooting, or they were still out-shooting and out-chancing the opposition because when they had the puck, they were creating and they were cycling and they were forechecking. And that's the way that you overcome a not-that-great defense is you play defense by keep-away. You forecheck the other team to death you cycle the puck, you make it so you have the puck in their zone for 25 seconds, so then the only way for them to get the puck out of the zone because they're tired is to chip it out to the, to the neutral zone, which then the defense recovers and then passes it back to the forwards who do it all over again. Like That's how you overcome a bad defense, and the Flyers have the personnel up front to do that. Like When you have a Hayes line that's functioning, when you have Couturier back and that line's functioning, when you have the fourth line playing their best, when you have hopefully the Patrick line, maybe you have this Patrick Limblom connecting line, maybe that becomes a thing. Like, you should be able to attack another team in waves and make it so the defense that objectively is a weak point is less of an obvious weak point because they're just not getting attacked as much because the forwards are the ones controlling the play. Like, that's your way out of the defense problems. And I do think that in the long term, you know, for the playoffs, the Flyers are going to have to at the trade deadline go out and get another defenseman. That's that's a definite. They got they're going to have to do it because in the playoffs and not just another defenseman, a good defenseman. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, like a top four quality defenseman. Absolutely. Yes, yes.
0: but. It, because they went and got
3: another defenseman with Eric yeah. Gustafson, and that was bad. Yeah, they
1: might have to spend some actual assets on a defenseman.
3: And I think I'm sorry, will. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I needed I needed to inject. Oh
1: them. no, it's it's a it's a point to be made. Like they don't need depth defenseman Z. Like they need a guy who can come in and play 18 to 22 minutes. No, they they
0: need a. You're trading a first round pick to get this guy defense. Yeah, and I think they will do yeah. that. But the thing is, is that it's the beginning of the year. No one thinks they're out of the running, so no one is selling. So you pretty much got to deal with what you got right now. And I think if the forwards play as well as they can, and I think you're slowly starting to see more and more guys start to figure it out, they can overcome the defense in the short term, knowing that in the long term they got to get a guy to be ready for the playoffs when the Islanders can do to the Flyers what the Islanders did to the Flyers in the playoffs.
2: Can I tell you a thought that I had last night?
0: Go for
2: it. That uh, they should probably trade Morgan Frost for a good defenseman at the deadline.
3: I've thought about that because Um, I
2: don't, I truly don't know where he goes when this team is healthy. And him sitting in the AHL as a maybe player for when players get hurt is nice, but the Flyers need. Have needs a top four defenseman, and he seems like the kind of asset that could get you one.
3: So here are my thoughts, because I've thought about that and I've gone back and forth. Like the Flyers are going to have to trade somebody that we like. Mm -hmm. The problem with Morgan Frost is that he has only a handful of NHL games under his belt. And obviously success at the NHL level is more valuable than success at the AHL level. So could we be looking at a situation where to get a top asset, we have to trade a top asset? Like, oh God, I don't know what just happened in my throat. Sorry. Like an Oscar Lindblom or a Travis Konechny. No, see. Which, like, I would rather die. I kind of think, in
2: my mind, when we're talking about deadline transactions, I always think about the team that is trading a right-now player is going to be trading the right-now player for futures, not for another right-now player. Because if you're trading a right-now player at the deadline, you're not in a place where you're competing anytime soon. So the idea that you might get a solid 2-3 center – in a couple of years, is probably more valuable to them than getting a bottom sixer now.
0: I think that a, makes maybe. sense. Maybe I, th- I think it depends on the nature but of the deal.
3: It depends. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, like they they could also be in the hunt and they really need some scoring power. Maybe. Like they've got some some strong defense, but they really need some scoring. Like I think that there's a lot of situations where we could lose somebody that we value a lot more than Morgan Frost and I think that sucks. Um but if we're looking at prospects that are are ready, we also have Wade Allison that is ready for the NHL. He's injured now, I believe, but you know, he's he's ready. Uh Tanner Lisinski, not as sexy of a name, but he's ready. Um and that's about it. Those are the ones that I'm thinking of. But the like germ. not as valuable <laughs> that's,
1: i think i think to charlie's point like it'll be to me it's more of a first round pick and maybe a morgan frost but like i just don't see what sort of value those other players have and from the flyers perspective if your strength is your forward group like i don't know how it makes sense to really deplete from your like starters yeah, it, it, like unless no. you're getting a, a superstar defenseman, I don't see like somebody who bumps Provorov to the number two spot. Like, I don't see how it makes sense for them to part with. Like, I mean, Travis Konechny their most productive forward. Yeah, no, losing thanks. him would make the team worse. Unless you're getting like a, a fucking Norris Trophy candidate,
3: I would chain myself to the airplane if that yeah, that was right, sending right. him out of town. Yeah, I would I, I, not. Like there's I, don't, a I, 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 I don't,
0: I don't, s- no. I don't see how that makes any sense at all. Like I, no. as as Bill said, if you're trading Travis Connecting, you're trading Travis Connecting for a star, and you have to account for the fact that the Flyers are still kind of maneuvering for the expansion draft. So why would you trade yep. away a forward for a defenseman? Why would you trade away a forward of the quality of Connecting to get a defenseman of that kind of quality just to then lose one of Travis Sandheimer, or Phil Myers? for nothing in a couple months. Like, it makes zero sense to do I
3: wasn't saying exactly that scenario. I was just saying someone more valuable than Morgan no, Frost. look,
0: I agree with you. I'm just saying, I'm, what I'm saying is that if those kind of trades are going to happen, I don't think we have to worry about Travis Connecting getting moved. Now, somebody like Oscar Limblom, somebody like Joel Faraby, maybe. Maybe those are the guys— Oh, that Faraby, that's the one I forgot. —that get brought up if you're—like, tra- because— There's really two types of trades you would make to address the defense. One is the trade deadline type move, which I think makes probably the most sense for the Flyers unless everything really falls apart over the next month and they just have to make a panic move. Um, And then there's a hockey trade. And a hockey trade is where you potentially get into a, like, okay, you have a talented 23-year-old defenseman. I have a talented 21-year-old or 20-year-old Joel Farabee. Let's do a hockey trade. Like, and I'm not saying that, you know, the Flyers would do that, but I'm also saying the Flyers wouldn't necessarily rule that out if it's a good player coming back. You know, those are the types of moves you have to consider, especially if you're trying to win a cup right now. So I can't see someone like Konechny, like if they were going to trade Konechny, they're going to trade Konechny for a high profile, you know, older forward who's a star you know like that's what
3: I wouldn't trade Travis Konechny for fucking anything but that's my thing like like, like not even Connor McDavid That's the
0: only type of trade a connect like Konechny would make sense to be involved in like there's a reason yeah. why people were bringing him up as a possibility for Line A because like that's the type of trade where like okay would i do that trade probably not but i can understand the logic behind it if you think we're trading a really good player for another really good player who maybe fits our lineup better than the really good player we have Trading him for a defenseman doesn't make any sense to me. I would think if you're going to be trading a roster forward, it would be someone like a Farabee.
1: I want to, uh, just because Konechny came up here, I want to talk about him real quick and then take a break. I just have one question. Was there any doubt in anyone's mind that when Konechny gets on that breakaway last night, the puck wasn't going in the net? Not a single I, I could have got up. Gotten a beer and come back and been like, oh yeah, they're up one nothing, just as I assumed. Like as soon as the puck was on his stick, I knew it was going in the net, and that's I just love that guy. I'm so I do happy too. he's like scoring right away, and the playoffs had no carryover.
3: <laughs> I like literally would not trade him for Connor McDavid. He no, is I'm uh, glad you're not in charge. Then. Yeah. I would not. <laughs> it's not. I, I wouldn't. Crazy. I love you, I wouldn't. Steph, but I'm real glad you're not in charge. Then. It's fine. It's fine. I I wouldn't. Um and just before we go to break, I was really wrong about Nolan Patrick's time on ice last night. God bless.
2: <laughs>
3: he had, out of all of the forwards that didn't get hurt, he had second to last in all situations. There you so go.
1: Hey, he Ooh, st- he still was played long. more than Sean Couturier, though. He did, and Morgan Frost. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Those are two top centers right there. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we're going to talk more about Eric Gustafson, because why the fuck not? Steph almost spit her coffee. <laughs> All right, fam, we are back, and it's Gus Bus time. Uh, the other Eric Gustafson, he came in as a free agent this year. And uh, hey, all right, seventy five. You know, three quarters of a point a game through the first four. That's basically what they're paying him for, no? Well, I mean, the points. The points are there. The points are there, and he's been. I would like to see a
0: little,
2: a little bit of defense out of him. I'll tell you, man, one one or two defenses a game. I'll
1: take it. We talked about. We talked about how he and, and Ghost play a different. They play the same role, but a different style. Like, Ghost is more of a skated himself kind of guy a lot of the time, and Gus is more of an outlet pass kind of guy. I gotta tell you, from what I've seen of his passing in the D zone, maybe skate with it.
3: Maybe
2: once, maybe (laughs) do that.
1: Maybe don't do that. Like, he last night, and it was like, it was kind of a bad luck play, where he tried to clear the zone, uh, and he was on his backhand. And, like, hit uh, hit a teammate with the puck, and it comes right out into the slot, and Brian Elliott has to make a save. And it was like, alright, bad luck play, but also maybe, if you're on your backhand in the slot, don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, take it exactly. into the corner and reset, do literally anything else other than that. Like, his decision making with the puck in, on his side of the red line is, um, he's a fucking turnover machine. I mean, to me, he had a shift,
0: and this is coming from someone who you know has you know like a lot of fans had to watch Andrew McDonald play for what like five seasons <laughs> and Luke Shen and every other ter- and every other terrible defenseman the Flyers threw out there in uh into the 2010s. Eric Gustafson had a shift in in the third game of the year that may have been the worst shift I've seen a Flyers defenseman have in my Ever. lifetime. <laughs> so it, it it starts out with. There's like a flip puck to the neutral zone, and all Gus has to do is move up like one stride, grab the puck, and the play's over. Instead, he backs up straight out of Andrew McDonald's playbook and allows them to go into the zone. So that's that's number one. Number two, he gets the puck back, carries the puck through the neutral zone, and then literally hand like basically just like passes it right on the tape to I think it was Taylor Hall, which then sparks a two-on-zero. Like, this isn't even an odd man rush. It's not an odd man rush when you have no men back. It's a 2-on-0 because Gus made such a terrible pass. Somehow they don't score on it. Gus gets the puck back and then immediately delivers, like, an ambulance pass to Scott Lawton, who is completely marked in the middle of the ice, which then results in another turnover, which allows the the Sabres to continue to pressure the Flyers. Like, it was just mistake after mistake after mistake. And it was just yikes. Like, look, I'm not burying the guy yet because I I acknowledge that he's getting used to a new system. It's a new team. He had a short camp. Like, he might get better. But these first four games at even strength, I mean, it's been, it's been a dumpster fire. Fucking
1: there was just yikes is the word. Yeah. There was a play, and I, I don't even think it resulted in, like, a goal or anything. But it was just, like, a 2-1-2. They're coming into the zone. His guy has the puck. And he's got the angle. He's in the right position, and somehow he loses the guy. And I was just baffled by how it even happened. Like get run into. Just let him skate right into you. It's I. I I was just I was dumbfounded by how it happened. I just he's been not very impressive. I and like you know he's minus one. Like that's not the worst in the world. He's got the three assists through four games. I'll take that offense. I guess he can come around defensively. We saw the defense, uh, the team defense struggle last year as they learned a V system, and then it really came around. But when I'm looking at a team that's getting outshot every night, God damn, he ain't helping.
3: I have a plea to Oscar Lindblom. <laughs> Please make better friends. <laughs> so he's best friends with Robert Haig, and we we know this, and – just play Haig to be Oscar Lindblom's friend because get him off the ice but he's also really close with Eric Gustafsson. so I just like it's a plea make better friends like find another Swedish forward to be friends with <laughs> stop being friends with these really really bad Swedish defensemen because I just can't I just can't take it anymore hang out with the Czech contingency they're fun
0: the one thing I will say about Gus is like, as bad as he's been most of the time, he does sometimes make some really good plays. Like you can, yeah. see, you can see the talent. Like the goal that they uh, that they scored uh, to make it two nothing, like that gets set up by a really nice Gus flip pass. He flips it over yeah. basically over the head of the de- of the defenseman, which sets up the Hayes Voracek two on one that puts the game on ice. Like that's an objectively very good play. It's just that it's all the other stuff and you're just hoping that he, that it clicks for him. But historically this has kind of been his MO and yeah, like I made the point on Twitter. I made this during the third game and I finally was just like, screw it. I'm going to tweet it out. Um, Eric Goss in his first four games has been exactly what all the people who hate Shane Goss' bear mistakenly believed ghost was before last season when ghost was actually bad. But like, oh, he racks up points, but he's a turnover machine, he makes dumb decisions, and he's terrible at defense. Like, that's been Gus. That has been Gus 100%, and Gus is utterly getting destroyed by advanced metrics. Like, I think his expected goals percentage is, like, 26%, which is, like, Andrew McDonald, Ooh. the year that Andrew McDonald, like, was playing hurt. Bad. Oh, God. Like, that's how bad his numbers have been so far. So, lovely. you know, it's... It's not just the eye test. He's getting crushed by the numbers as well. And, I mean, he better fix it because if I'm the Flyers, I don't know how much longer I can keep throwing him out there, especially when you got a guy like Mark Friedman who is kind of champ- champing at the bit for an opportunity.
1: And that's a – I kind of – I i didn't expect it, but I would not have been surprised by Friedman maybe drawing into the lineup after the, uh, after the Monday Buffalo game. I wish but he had. But now – Uh, now that if, if, I mean, if Myers is going to miss some time, obviously Friedman's going to come in, uh, but say Myers, say Myers is healthy enough to go Thursday and Saturday. Uh, you think maybe we see Friedman in one of those games? I'd put him in. You think they maybe make a switch this early? I sure
2: would. I would absolutely put him in. Yeah. There are places in this defense that can't get worse. So why not see what happens?
3: But I do like, so A.V. said, you know, he's keeping the same lineup or at least the same personnel to show confidence in the guys, which I do like for the forwards, the defense. Some of these guys don't need the confidence and they haven't earned the confidence. So maybe, maybe shake some stuff up.
1: All right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind it. I. I... I kind of want to give him the opportunity to play mm-hmm. himself out of this and just get more acquainted with the system and his teammates, but eh, it hasn't been pretty for the most part so far. I'm not, look, right? I'm they not are saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying se- bench him entirely. I'm just saying yeah. let's give, give Freeman another guy a, look. a shot.
0: Let's give Freeman a look. Yeah.
3: The season is too short to give him too much time to figure it
1: out. Agreed. But, like, you know, 750 points percentage. They're doing okay with him in there
3: well but could they do better with him not yes.
1: perhaps I, I i do think what this does
0: do you know and again we'd have no idea how long how much longer he's going to be out for but i think what this does do is it's like if this is a choice between if the choice has always been either gus or ghost is in the lineup like let's give ghost a shot man when he's ready because
1: eric Gosseson oh that is was... not playing nearly well enough to keep shane spare out of the lineup when he can play Oh, that was my next point. Fully recognizing that Ghost hasn't been ghost in a little while, I will take him over, Eric Gustafson, what I've seen of him so far, every single time. Yeah. Bring him
3: back as as soon as possible.
1: Let's get him let's get him that uh let's get him vaccinated. Let's go here. Please. Yeah, get him
0: a shot. I, I don't please. I mean, we granted we don't know if he has it or if this is just contract tracing, but I don't think a vaccine Whatever. works once you're already infected. That's true. <laughs>
1: just give him Cutting like the extra. the purpose just give him some extra
2: give him yeah. whatever some extra vaccine <laughs> or extra rona yeah give him whatever they gave the president exactly the whole cocktail of nonsense
1: fucking tongue. he is no longer the president That's as true. of this recording all right, thank yeah, you it's 1216 16 um, he did it all right like i'm like i'm trying to get like i don't want to be too negative I, I realize that there are issues and like they've been outshot in every game and A couple of bounces, their record could be, you know, reversed. But there are some positives, so I want to talk about the goaltending. Um, Man, this is a strength of this team. The second period against Buffalo on Monday notwithstanding, uh, I am real happy with with what I've seen out of Hart and now Elliott. Uh, But I want to get your, like, honest opinion how did you feel when it was announced Elliot would get the start after Hart was pulled and Elliot ended up playing more than half of the game? Uh, and, you know, obviously your reaction to the result was, oh, yeah, 40-save shutout, way to go, coach. What did you think they should have done? I thought that they were going to do
2: exactly what they did, and I was fine with it. Scheduled start. Yeah,
1: I
3: I said already what I thought. I thought that they would start Hart just because Elliot played the majority of the game, but I didn't have a reaction. I was fine with it. I I trust Brian Elliott enough to a, at least give the team a fighting chance. And then after his performance last night, like okay, I trust him more than that. But also, Carter Hart is the prince who is promised. So let's let's not lay the blame on him for for the debacle that was Monday.
1: Oh, certainly not. Like he's not, not all second the way. Period- his second period was not good, but he also saw 11 shots in the first eight minutes of the period. Yeah. Like, they all played like shit, and I thought he was the only reason it wasn't fucking 4 nothing after the first. Like, he, I thought he was pretty damn good in the first period. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 thought he, I thought he had one bad goal, and it was the last one right before he got pulled
0: because yeah. he should have yeah. he held that rebound. But aside from that, I didn't think any of the other ones were really his fault.
1: So, I want to run this by you guys, because we talked about how Elliott, like, he may have benefited from getting that little bit of uh, warm-up time on the Monday game before the Tuesday. Let me run this by is something I was thinking about last night. I- Carter Hart is, you know, fundamentally, he's the excellence of execution, you know, he's, he- he's fundamentally sound, technician out there, rel- master of the angles. Brian Elliott is not that. I'm not, like, he's not Dominic Hossack, but he's that style of see puck, stop puck, throw body at puck. Like, that's what he's doing out there. Considering the lack of practice time and, like, time, inability to, like, really focus in because you just don't have that kind of time, does Elliot kind of have an advantage early in the season, maybe, as everyone else is kind of, like, a goalie-like heart is getting settled in and just getting back in the mindset And Elliot's just like, I don't know. I dive out there.
2: I mean, also, he's, you know, 34, 35. How old is he? He's played a whole lot of hockey. Oh, he's a good backup. I like him. Yeah, I don't think that – I don't really think that there's a lot for him to get ready for. He knows what he has to do. He goes out there. I thought, actually, last night I noticed a lot he was tracking the puck really, really well.
1: Um but yeah, he just He made some saves through screens and things that were impressive.
2: Yeah, I could just like I don't know if it's cuz I was focusing on it, but I could really just see his eyes following the puck really well last night. And it's just like he's a he's a a good goaltender. He's fine. He's good in small doses. We got a small dose and he was good.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's that big I, a deal. I'm not gonna lie, Bill, I don't think there's a lot to that. I mean, you never okay. really know. <laughs> but I, I just I don't think there's I think he just had a good game. You know, he's a Yeah. He's a pretty good goaltender. He had a good game. That's great. I I was fine with him playing the second game of the back to back because you gotta mm-hmm. give your backup some work, man. I mean you have yeah. to like you have to give him some work. You have to give him the start. I didn't think he had a bad training camp, so it's not like you had to be scared that he just wasn't ready to go. So I was fine with it. I mean Hart's still the guy, you know. I, I don't blame Hart for the third game. I don't think that was his fault at all. I think he was freaking awesome in game two, especially. Um, you know, the second game against the Penguins. I think he was the reason yeah. the Flyers won that Real game. Real good. Yeah. So I'm not worried about Hart at all. But no, I, I wanted to give Elliot a shot. I think he deserved it and he, he proved he deserved it by playing a really good game so i mean props to you brian
1: yeah i wanted to like i want carter hart to play like 50 50 of the 56 games but <laughs> i was just like maybe there's a way to rely more on elliot early and then go to heart as the season you know gets into the real teeth of the season but you know maybe it was just maybe it was just brian elliott's night because that's how fucking goalies work Uh,
3: Because that's how goalies work. It's voodoo. It's fine. We're going to wrap it
1: up, but I want to have a quick conversation about special teams. Um, The penalty kill, 73.3%. Not too great. Uh, They had a huge kill last night, the five on three early, Uh, but more so than the penalty kill, because I think that's, like, I think it'll come around. I just think the team defense as a whole will get better as they just get warmed up into the season. more concerning to me, is through 12 periods, the Flyers have taken 15 penalties, and nine of them have been stick penalties, slashing, hooking, cross check, like, lazy shit that you don't need to do. Like, if you rough somebody, if you accidentally board somebody because you're being aggressive and they turn their back, I can live with these things. If you're being aggressive, playing physical, getting called for shit, so be it. But, like, if you're just hooking a guy, tripping a guy, eh, like... Uh, this is can this is kind of just lazy hockey in, in some regard to me.
2: No, you're right. And it and this I think could sorry Charlie, this could be, I think, sort of the early season shaking off the rust, getting your legs underneath of you stuff that yes. should drop off
0: a bit. Like be in control of your stick, please. Yes. Yeah. That that Kelly, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Is that like Yay. there's some there's some things that I'm concerned about. Like I'm concerned about the defense. You know, I'm concerned about the injuries. I'm not one bit concerned about the penalty kill, and I'm also not, not concerned about the penalties because the penalties to me, it's just, it's early. You know, guys are trying to get back used to playing hockey at an NHL level again after an off season. It's going to happen. Penalties are going to happen. Plus... The officials are also trying to reassert their authority on games, yes. which is the exact Definitely. same thing they did in the bubble. If you remember, in the play-in rounds, they were calling penalties like crazy because, you know, officials have to be, like, laying down the law. you know, got to gotta play according to my way. So they're, they're calling games really close. And with the penalty kill, like, you know, four games is already a small sample. The penalty kill is a really small sample. And I don't think the penalty kill has looked bad. It's just giving up goals. Like, over the long term— I'm not concerned. I think this is mostly just noise, to be honest.
1: This is uh, this is probably mostly a function of missing Sean Couturier. But in terms of the penalty kill, one thing that is concerning to me: last year the Flyers won 51.5 percent of their shorthanded faceoffs, best in the league. Vancouver was the only other team that wasn't in the red; they were dead at 50. Uh, this year, the Flyers are winning a third. 33.3% of their faceoffs shorthanded. Obviously that'll improve when Coots gets back, but it's a big part of their game. It like faceoffs as a whole overrated stat. Individual faceoffs can be big and when you're shorthanded if you win it clean, you get a you get an automatic clear and you shave 20 seconds off right away. And that's I don't know, they haven't been doing that and I think that's hurting them.
0: It is hurting them, but this goes back to my point that it's a small sample. Like, the Flyers are not—even yeah. even without Chargaturi, yeah. the Flyers are not a true-talent 33.3% face-off team. Like, they're going to win more faceoffs, and when they do, they're probably going to give up fewer goals. So, like, again, yeah, you're right. If you're looking to diagnose the problem so far, I'm sure the losing face-offs thing plays a role. It's just not something I'm concerned about over the long term, which is why I'm not concerned about the penalty kill over the long term. Okay.
3: I just want to say that Kurt is funny sometimes, and (laughs) he had a tweet, sometimes, he had a tweet after NAK took that roughing penalty um, that was called high-sticking, that NAK had just scored a goal in that miserable... Sabers game and that was his reward like he scored a goal and was like okay well now I'm done with this game because there's only two minutes no, left that was, and I I'm done
1: what an incredible shift to break a shutout and then break Rasmus Darlene's nose like <laughs> what an incredible pissed off fuck it we're losing shift like and
3: he was like I did I did my part this game I scored a goal and I'm gone th-
1: like, like that a, was my job just a great stick it up your ass shift for an AK but that's uh, just one last and he thing and
3: he did take a fine for yeah. it, which sucks.
1: That's, but I fully expected him to get suspended, and that's what I wanted to close with. The Jared McCann elbow, uh, he was fined about 10K. The Nicholas Q Cubell punch to Rasmus Donahue's nose, uh, $4,633.62 fine. Did you think either were suspension worthy?
0: No. You the know, McCann the, the elbow, McCann, I thought, was. The McCann one, absolutely. The, the NAK punch, like, yeah, it's a dirty play, but, like, come on. Like, yeah, we actually said we actually saying that's suspension worthy. Like, it's it's I hot, just it's hot. I
1: remember, I remember hashtag glass and why, Wayne Simmons. A gloved punch is supposed to be an automatic ejection. They called him for high sticking. I guess they thought they caught he caught him with the stick and not like just a fucking straight punch to the face. <laughs> but like, I I kind of expect. I'm not saying it's suspension worthy, but I was surprised he wasn't suspended. You know, spin the wheel, make the deal. It's the NHL, but I kind of was surprised. Well, you know who else was surprised? He's
0: Ralph Kruger, who apparently oh, thinks God, that Ivan Provorov should be suspended for getting knocked by Brandon Montour into the Buffalo goalie. That's suspended. That was, of,
3: Brandon it, Montour, Montour pushed, should have been pushed, tossed. Mm-hmm. Pushed Provorov into Carter Hutton and then decided to punch Proverov in the face for hitting Carter Hutton. Which was Brandon Montour's
1: fault?
3: <laughs> Montour
2: has <laughs> got a big He
1: his right own
3: goalie. Like, it, it was unbelievable. Maybe he also concussed himself because he forgot that <laughs> he pushed Provorov into the goalie. I want to know.
1: I want to like are like with COVID protocols and everything are the concussion spotters just gone? Because after after Ivan Provorov delivers a spinning back elbow that sends the goalie's helmet flying across the rink. He's allowed to finish the period. Like, yeah, how do you probably... not pull him right there? Because he just definitely got elbowed in the fucking head.
2: He probably should yeah. have been pulled.
1: Like, how did they ignore that? He should have been pulled. Yeah, that was <laughs> like, that okay. is a blatant headshot. But Montour absolutely should have been tossed. Like, that was a dirty, dangerous play. I mean, I don't yeah. think he. Sh- I don't think he should have
0: been tossed. I just think it's funny that Ralph Kruger thinks Ivan Provorov should be suspended for this play.
1: I just think if you punch someone in the head when they're down on the ice, you don't deserve to play for the rest of the day. Fair. You (laughs) got to go sit in the locker room.
3: That's definitely fair. And before we close out, I just want to – this is something that you put in the outline, but I don't think we touched on it. Um, Travis Konechny in the first game of the season scored a goal or at least was credited with scoring a goal. And then after the game said, no, no, it hit Oscar Lindblom in the head. It's his goal. Now whether or not it actually did hit Oscar Lindblom in the head I think that that was just a really sweet thing that he did to make sure that Oscar Lindblom was in the on the goal sheet for the first game of the season, I thought that that was really
1: sweet. It was, and it's it's important that like it's Travis Konechny, a guy who himself badly needed a goal, and he was rewarded via the great uh, Mother Earth Universe Force with a hat trick uh, the following <laughs> night. So <laughs> fucking
3: first NHL hat trick.
1: I, I, Tra- Tra- I was real. Travis Konechny
0: is tied for the ahead, league Jarvis. lead in points. Yeah. MVP leading Travis Konechny.
3: That's our baby. God, I'm telling you. I would not trade him for Connor McDavid. I wouldn't do it. All right.
1: You know what? I'm with you, Steph. All right. Oh, Thank boy. Thank
0: you. That's how we're ending. It's not
1: happening, so I can say whatever the fuck I want.
0: Right.
3: Like, I just, I'm just going to keep saying it enough until Bill's just like, yeah, okay. All right, fine.
1: Yeah, like It's not something I'm ever going to have to think about, so sure. Why not? All right, that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button. Just search Broad Street Hockey wherever there are podcasts, maybe even on Google Play. Who knows? Uh, but everywhere else where there are podcasts, definitely search Broad Street Hockey. Click subscribe and boom, content daily. All right, that's it. Uh, yeah, post games, flyperbole, et cetera. Uh, my name is Bill Mats for Steph, for Kelly, for Charlie. Have a great week, everybody.